And welcome back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens below the line with all those movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, VFX magicians, sound editors, sound mixers, film editors, composers, you name it, and we talk to them. Uh, and boy, we're, we've been doing a lot of talking lately with some incredible guests. Um, and we're continuing that today with three wonderful guests. We've got two very, 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 very funny projects we're talking about. Uh, at the midpoint of the show, we're going to have, you heard me talk about them, uh, going back to 2016, Sexpectations, the hilarious, laugh-out-loud funny comedy series streaming as of today on Apple TV Prime. Kevin Good and Jenna St. John are going to be uh, giving us a call at the midpoint of the show to talk about Sexpectations. Uh, it is finally, finally out, so you can all see it. I can't wait to talk to them. Uh, but first, very happy to have first-time feature film writer-director Jennifer Cram. She's on hold right now. I'm going to bring her live in a second. Is joining me to talk about her film sick girl comedy film starring nina nina dobrev and a multiplicity of other people including one of my faves wendy mcclendon covey um so without any further ado let let's just jump right in here because we're jam-packed again today and a big hello to jennifer hello jennifer hi debbie how are you I'm good. How are you? I am so excited to be speaking with a fellow Philadelphian today. Me too. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, as I was telling, because you called in early, very prompt, as we are known to be. <laughs> you know, if you're on time, you're late. Uh, That's right. And I, as I have said many times, I said to Pam earlier, you know, you can take the gal out of Philly, but you never take the Philly out of the gal. Yes, that's that's 100% true in my case, especially. Yes. Apparently, I still have a full-fledged Philly accent. You so. do, and I love it. I love <laughs> hearing it. Uh, but something else that I absolutely love is Sick Girl. This. Thank you. Oh, my God, Jennifer, this is so funny. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you liked it. Oh, my God. I didn't know what to expect because the whole premise of this where you have your protagonist and she, because she wants to get together, relive those high school and college days and, you know, reconnect and, you know, hang out and drink and party with her old friends who have now grown up and moved on to married life and kids and all. So and she gets this brilliant idea. She tells them all she has cancer <laughs> and uses that. Now, that in and of itself, it's cruel. It's heartless. However, yeah. You find this great balance of the comedy in how Nina Dobrev's character of Ren, how she pulls this off and how much more trouble she keeps getting into. You know, that hole just keeps, she's digging for herself, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But 
you give salvation with the character of Leo, an actual cancer patient who really befriends her. And he sees through what she's doing. So you really walk that balance. And I will admit, coming into this, I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. Because true story, I worked with an attorney once in Manhattan Beach. And there was a member of his church. And she told the whole congregation that she was dying of cancer. And there were fundraisers and people would, you know, pick her up and then drop her off for cancer treatments and then pick her up after that and all. And finally, after a lengthy period of time, she came clean and said, uh, no, I lied. I just wanted the attention. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's something that I hadn't heard of previous to writing this, <laughs> but since I did, people are sending me stories left and right. Apparently, you know, this isn't, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's something that several people have actually done in real life, which is horrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, now, in this particular case, the character of Ren, she's just trying to reconnect. She wants to, you know, hang, she wants things the way it was, but she really wants the camaraderie and friendship that she had. In so many of these other instances, especially now with the Internet, you see people setting up GoFundMe campaigns, and they're doing it for money. Right. Yeah, I don't know how I would have made that a comedy. Uh, no, I, I don't <laughs> think that's possible. But what? Yeah. You, but here, you bring us in, you reel us in, because Ren is so engaging, and she is so much of a screw-up <laughs> that... <laughs> You really, you want to see the train wreck. It's like driving on the freeway or the expressway. You know, you're on the Schuylkill. And there, on the opposite side, you've got cars, you know, at the Ballakinwood exit. And they're just crashing into each other. You've got to stop. Yeah, that is exactly, for, for whatever reason, I love myself a train wreck. So, um... <laughs> I love the more messed up the character is, the more delighted I am. I enjoy I enjoy squirming. Well, you should be very delighted with this film that you created then. Uh, because Ren is really, she's a train wreck. Uh, but she's she a, is. But she's she enjoyable. Is. It's funny, too, because Nina is the exact opposite of that. I mean, she's nothing like that. And I said to her, like, the first time we met, I was like, I just, you know, like this, this girl's a hot mess. We're going to have to rough you up somehow (laughs) I'm I'm down whatever you want to do you know how did you because you come out of casting Mm -hmm. uh, so number one coming out of casting it doesn't surprise me who you have cast in this film you clearly know what you want or who is the right actor for a particular character type and or character you did an excellent job cast with the casting here, um, and I'm sure it's because of your experience in the casting realm. Now, how did that experience translate for you into actually writing and then saying, I'm going to direct this one, too. It's going to be my first film. <laughs> I mean, I think it was invaluable. Um, I didn't, you know, when I when I went into casting, I was still kind of, floundering as Mm -hmm. far as figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, I knew, I knew I was passionate about movies and television. Um, And, you know, at first I was like, maybe I want to act, but I didn't really know. I didn't go to film school. 
Um, so I, I got a job in casting pretty quickly after I moved to L.A. And um, I think that, you know, I, I think I realized fairly, I, and I had always written, never screenplays, but I was, I was always writing like short stories and, you know, blogs and stuff like that. I love to write. Um, but I just, I think I had a bit of like imposter syndrome, again, since I didn't go to school for this. So I think it took me a minute. Um, but I think, you know, casting, one of the things that gave me the confidence to finally say, you know, you can, you're allowed to do this, you can try, is I think reading all those scripts and, and, mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, obviously I'm reading some that are like incredibly intimidating, like Chris Nolan scripts, where I'm like, I don't know how anyone thinks of this. I, I could never do this. But like, you know, you, you I started getting a little confident, like, I, I think I could, I think I could do this. And, you know, I, I kind of after that. I slowly started um, taking classes and stuff. But I think as far as, like, the directing, casting, I mean, if I hadn't been in casting, I would have never attempted to direct this movie. I um, I feel like, I, you know, I spent, like, 15 years just directing actors all day, every day, mm-hmm. and sitting in sessions with some of the best directors and creators in the business and listening to them you know, give actors notes and coach them and talk about their their movies. I, I think it was like, you know, my own little film school. Mm-hmm. Now, once you decided, I'm going to direct this and they're going to let me do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did you go about breaking this down and approaching the directing aspect of this? You're going to direct. You have your cast in place. You've got your cinematographer, Ante Cheng. Um, mm-hmm. Something that you also do with this film that I really love is that you keep the visual tonal bandwidth very light and bright. Uh, the only yeah. time you even get a little darker is in the, I like to call them the come to Jesus moments where, uh, you know, somebody is going to be admitting to something horrible that they did. And then right. you're in an enclosed gymnasium or a, a room in a church or something, and you've got the darker <laughs> walls, the lighting sucks, it's bad fluorescent. Um, but other than that, you and Ante keep the, t- the visual tonal bandwidth very light, very bright. And I love that you do that. And then you make use of some terrific production design with windows and always keeping windows with curtains covering them uh, so that almost insulating Wren so that she can keep hiding. I'm sorry, what was... So that she can keep hiding, you know, with the curtains. Oh, right, 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 The metaphoric aspect. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is just, you know, um, I had, you know, great people. Obviously, Auntie's a fantastic cinematographer, but that is something we discuss pre like prior to it um we would just you know him and i would go to like a a little restaurant and sit down and kind of just go through the script and i give him a lot of credit for his patience because i didn't know like i didn't know a lot of the lingo i was trying to learn as much as possible Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible but he was very patient with me and this movie we shot it in um you know 11 and a half days wow so we yeah, it was intense. Um, I don't think I realized quite how intense it was going to be, which I think is almost a blessing. Um, 
I, I knew it was going to be hard. I was, I, I, I was aware of the fact that that was a very short, but I don't think I got exactly how hard. But I think, you know, him and I sat down and we didn't have, because again, this, had a, this movie had a very low budget. We didn't have a storyboard artist or anything like that. So what I actually did was I, like, I drew every single shot of the movie oh with God. stick figures. <laughs> Because I, I'm not a good drawler. It is not one of my skills. And we, like, you know, sat down and plotted out the movie beat, beat by beat. Now, now you know, I, other filmmakers, if this makes you feel any better, over the years, I've spoken with many filmmakers who also are not good at drawing. And they, too, have done storyboards with stick figures. And some of them That's have, so funny. I didn't know that. And some of them have gone on to be relatively famous directors. So keep well, that I like in mind. That. I like I like feeling like I'd be walking in their footsteps then. And I know any pro- any projects I've ever worked on where I'm stepping in as a consulting producer or producer or even mm-hmm. l- smaller projects, even back in film school, you know, back when I was at Temple uh, decades upon decades ago, um, <laughs> I would I would storyboard out for for films and I would do stick figures because I was too impatient to try and draw you know real people. It's a lot easier to draw stick figures and put a box here and write dresser and a box here and go oh light in the corner. So <laughs> I, right, it is. It's definitely a time saver. I definitely yeah. get that. Definitely get that. But, yeah. I also would use Legos sometimes, which I think I got that idea from an interview I read with another director. I can't remember who, so I can't give them credit. But um, we, I would like use the little Lego figures um, and kind of like you know when we were when we were um, trying to block scenes and sh- like would show him kind of what I was going for with the Legos, which was actually incredibly helpful. Well, you know, this is what stunt coordinators and stunt guys for years were doing is they would get little matchbox cars. They would use right. little, little matchbox cars and actually make a diagram. Yeah, you'd get black construction paper, you lay it down, you put in the lines of a road, uh, and they would use the, the matchbox cars. I love that. So you're, you know, you're keeping in the true tradi- tradition of filmmaking, especially low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget, you know, this is how things were done back before, you know, computers got so advanced and all, when we didn't have computers. So right. you're just, you are just spot on here, Jennifer. <laughs> you really are. And if you, can, if you can turn out a film like this using Legos and stick figures, there's no stopping you, in my opinion. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. <laughs> now, you know, obviously, so you, you had stick figure drawings for every scene. Did you also shot list? We did. I I am an insane prepper. Insane. Like, I not, first of all, I knew I was going to be a nervous wreck. And I knew that, um, obviously, a lot would change on the day. And there was going to be a lot of surprises. I wanted to to put myself in a position where I had thought of as much as I possibly could have in, in advance. So on the day, I could focus on the actors as much as possible. As, like sure. I said, I knew stuff was going to come up. So I um, did, for the, for the entire movie, I went scene by scene 
and um, came up with every, like, I, I would do a list of, you know, which, which actors were in the scene, what I thought they'd be wearing, um, all the shots, uh, all jokes, any kind of, I'm trying to think what else. I did like pages and pages for every single scene of the movie, just so I could feel myself. I don't know that this is something that I feel like, you know, is necessary for everyone, but for me, it was um, enormously helpful in just giving me the confidence that I had prepared as much as possible. I'm like pulling out my little binder now and seeing if I can find one of those lists so I can tell you what. <laughs> yeah, I, would do, I found it. I would do all the camera blocking. I would talk about whatever sounds and music would, would be in that scene, um, all dialogue, where everybody's objectives were, where all the cameras were, because we were shooting on two cameras. Okay. Um, any transitions. I was, I, I'm, I'm a big nerd that way. <laughs> well, you know, that's what you need to do, especially with your first film. Going in prepared is the best thing that you can do. Uh, you know, yeah. some people just want to shoot, you know, shoot from the hip. But really, for a film of this magnitude... Because this is not a small production. It might be a low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget film. But you have so many moving parts and people. You have so many extras and neighborhood people popping up in this film in addition to your main cast. Mm -hmm. um, so you're really tackling a lot. And you do need to know where all the moving parts are. And if it if a list gives you that comfort and ease, well, then you make a list. Yeah, I think, you know, I also really, I, I really wanted to have as many alt jokes as possible. Mm -hmm. And I knew we weren't going to be able to, um, shoot, you know, first of all, get as many as I wanted. We just didn't have time. But I also knew I couldn't on the day be sitting there kind of like trying to think on the spot. So I also would just brainstorm. But yes, I think, I don't, I don't know how we could have done it any other way. It, it wasn't the kind of movie where you could kind of just sit around and, and think in the moment. Everything right. had to be pre-planned. Well, especially because of the, of the tonal balance that you're going for. Yes, it's hilarious. It's a great comedy. But as I said at the top, you know, you balance that out and you, get, and you give it heart. You have to with a, with a subject matter like this. Yeah, there's all the great jokes, but you've got to get to the heart of that. Otherwise, you come across as being crass and unfeeling, and people, it's just going to be a turnoff. And right. this is where your editing is so key here, not to mention the casting of Brandon Michael Smith as Leo and the chemistry that Brandon and Nina have as Leo and Wren. And then you really work that with the pacing with your editors, Colin and Monica. And yeah. find you walk that tightrope and you do it really, really well. Thank you. I appreciate that. We we worked really hard on that. I was very sensitive to the fact that I, I was, you know, telling a story about something that is incredibly traumatic as far yeah. as cancer goes to almost everyone yeah. in the world has had somebody they know affected by it. So I, I just I want it to be very clear that I was not making light of the disease um and that was yeah i mean it's it, it was a it was something we worked very hard on in the editing for a long time long long time you know how was the editing process for you sitting there in the editing bay with your editors well so i i 
what happened was we, I think right after the movie, we had the um, initial, I think we had the, I think we had a full 10 weeks of editing Mm -hmm. where I was in the editing bay with Monica and it was, you know, 11 hour days and it was, uh, I loved it. But then we had to do, we, we didn't finish. We had to do, first we did a pickup day in LA and then we had to do additional editing, but the pandemic hit. So that was when I started working with um, Colin, and, and we just do that completely over computers and over, you know, the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, that I did not love, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was necessary, and he was so patient and so fantastic, but I definitely prefer being in the room. It's very, it was very hard for me to edit, not sitting next to the person, you know, in, in the room. It was a lot of, it was a lot of, a lot of notes back and forth just just very 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 long notes with time codes on them you know because i am i'm pretty sure that while you're sitting in the editing bay with your editor with monica i'm sure as you're sitting there there are moments you're from philly you're going to be very demonstrative with your hands you're going to hit her on the shoulder and say that's it that's it that's it i can see this i would actually stand like right in front of the tv and be like pointing like i'd be like pointing at the, i'd be like this just right here because there's like these micro moments especially with comedy where you're looking for it, it's it's the difference of like a half a beat where you're just like no stop no nope, yep. one more it, 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 like you know it's very very precise yep and you know that's and this is where you really also lucked out with your casting is because you get somebody like Dan Backdahl, you get Wendy McClendon Covey, you get Nina. Um, they know comedy. They know oh, yeah. comedy. And so much of what they can infuse into a character is they know the beats in their head. They know the beats with their body movement. Wendy especially knows comedy so well, especially with her facial expressiveness. It's exactly what I said. I was like, Wendy could teach a class on how to act without speaking. Yes. And we see that when her eyes get larger than life, when she finds out her daughter has, has cancer. And then it's, oh, we're giving you medication, and oh, we're doing this. And then finally the realization when the truth is coming out. And the horror, yeah. the horror on her face. And then Dan, <laughs> so as and Dan is dad Fred, is like... I'd say almost every Philadelphia dad of that generation <laughs> want to slap you upside your head. It doesn't matter how old you are. They want to slap yeah, you that, upside your that head. That is certainly my dad. That the was first mine. Thing he said when he saw Sick Girl, was like, oh, so this is a real movie. I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> and see, and your dad, he's hard nosed. I mean, he was he was a uh, a chief, a Philadelphia fire department chief. He was. My dad's a badass. He uh, is. Um, you know, he's he's he was running into burning buildings, literally, like saving lives. He, he's you know he don't he doesn't mess around. He doesn't pull any punches. Yeah, and definitely not with his daughter. Absolutely not. Yeah. He's very proud, but he he Aww. will he will give it to me straight, which I appreciate. I wouldn't want it any other way. No. Well, you know, something else that you do that you really paid attention to here in all of your list of notes. Um, I love your set decoration, the production design and the set decoration. Number one, I do love the fact that Ren's apartment, it's windows, and you have the multicolored curtains that are obscuring it. Um, gives a nice prismatic effect, which is where your set decorator, Faith Anderson, comes into play 
When you look at Ren's home, bedroom in her parents' house, which is a pigsty, and you look at her apartment, which is a pigsty, and <laughs> mm-hmm. the attention to detail that you have is that Faith infuses into the design versus the clean lines of Leo's apartment is so it adds so much fuel to this story. It really immerses us in Ren's mindset of never growing up. Right, and just chaos. Chaos everywhere. Chaos everywhere. I I give a lot of that credit to um, also Rebecca Bell. I mean, again, this was an an indie that we shot. Everything was on location. Um, I I, I think we flew in two weeks before the movie started and had to pick all of these locations and she had to, you know, her and her team had to work on everything. And I, I, I mean, I really, I can't take much credit for, for any of that. She worked her ass off and she worked very fast and did a spectacular job. Now, where did you shoot this one? We shot it in Tulsa. You didn't even go and get the Philly tax credit. What is wrong with you? I tried. <laughs> it's funny because I actually had it written. Like, I wrote this to be filmed in Philly. I had, like, the playgrounds I grew up in, like, just specified by name. Yep. Like, I, I saw this in my head. I saw the locations in my head. I This was Philly for me. I, um, but, you know, when the producer, she was just like, the tax credits in Tulsa are much better. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. It was a disappointment for sure. Although I did love Tulsa and everyone there was wonderful. I, I really, I really did want to shoot. This felt very silly to me, so I was a little heartbroken about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, that just blows my mind because as I'm watching this and knowing you're from Philly, it's like in my mind's eye, I'm even envisioning places like in the Northeast, off of Cotman mm-hmm. Avenue, and places like that, and you know, exactly. So. I was and I wanted thinking. to kind of pepper my friends and family in as extras. Like, I just felt that this was very, this just felt very silly to me. But, you know, it, uh, we, I still, I'm still super grateful. And I, again, Tulsa was wonderful, but I did, I did really want to shoot it in Philly. And of course, you know, had you done that with friends and family, you would have saved on the budget. Producers should have realized that because friends and family can work for free. They're, I know. They're happy with craft service. That's it. Give them a hoagie yep. and a cheesesteak, and they're good. <laughs> they're good. Get a couple Philly pretzels, toss some mustard on them, we're good to go. And that's it. Now, another element of the film that you paid attention to is the music, the musical aspect, the score. You paid attention. Yeah, it, you, I mean, we had Patrick Stump from um, Fall Out Boy, who also, you know, their song bookends the, the movie, but Patrick did the um, the score for this and was uh, he was just so good. I I would say to him a lot. I don't know. I don't speak the language of music, so it was a lot of just me being like it, this. He was and he said to me, and this worked really well. He would say, "Can you just tell me what it, what, what it should feel like?" Uh, and you know, he he's so he's so talented that just for me saying that. And I would find, like, scores from other movies that I felt, like, mm-hmm. captured kind of the tone I was going for. And I would say maybe something like this. But, um, and again, you know, it was during the pandemic, so we were, all of our contact was over the phone and computers. But he did such a lovely job. He did such a lovely job. 
Yeah, I really like the musical aspect of the film. It fits the emotional tone and it fits the visual tone. You have a great marriage here of that visual tonal bandwidth and your emotional tonal bandwidth. And with this film, it is that is a really tough line, tightrope to walk. And you've really done it on multiple levels and you've used your production design, your set decoration, you your costuming. You have used that to create this world so that we can be a part of the world and we understand it. So when Ren goes off the rails, okay, we get that. But then when we see what's happening on the other side, there's a balance to that. And not everybody can pull that off. So you did a, you should be proud of yourself, Jennifer. You did a really good job with that. Thank you. I, I was saying from the beginning I wanted the audience to feel like the fifth friend. I wanted, I, I wanted it to feel personal. Um, so that, that is what I was going for. But thank you so much for saying that. I mean, you really want to be friends with Ren, especially when she rallies everybody and gets them all to, you know, they want to be so supportive of her. It's let's take a spa day and lay out in the pool on a floaty and, <laughs> and sip champagne. Everybody wants to do that instead of going to work. Right. <laughs> Everybody wants to do that. Um, yes, me included. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what a director gets to do when they're filming their first film, especially. Oh, boy. That day was, that day was bananas. Uh, that was our first day shooting. Oh, wow. And we were shooting at our hotel because, again, this is like guerrilla filmmaking. Yep. And we couldn't, they wouldn't, you know, let us shut down the pool um, as far as like, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't pay to shut it down for the movie. So there was, it was, you know, full hotel guests <laughs> at the pool swimming. It was, it was chaos. I, I, I get cold sweats when I think back to that day. <laughs> but you survived it. That's yes. the thing. You figured out how to make that work for you. And that's, yeah. that's one of the big elements with filmmaking, how to make it work for you and how to make it work for your story. And you did. Thank you. You, you did. I'm glad. You know, Thank now, you. now, we just had opening weekend mm-hmm. in theaters, Apple TV, Prime on VOD, and Let the Record Reflect. I did have a link to watch the film. I watched the link, but then I also paid six ninety nine. Uh, to Spectrum, uh, so to contribute to the coffers Thank for the film. You. <laughs> so I watched it twice. Thank you. I went to see it in the theater last night, but I also bought it on Apple TV. Yeah, <laughs> I could do my part. <laughs> so, how exciting is it for you? Your first feature film. It is out, and it is everywhere. People can see it now. I know. It, it's like putting your baby out into the world. It, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, honestly, I, I still don't know that I fully wrapped my head around it. It's been, you know, such a long time coming. I kind of can't believe it. Well, it, it, you know, patience, patience has paid off for you, Jennifer. Um, I am just, I am so thrilled for you. Now, <laughs> You know, writers are back to work now, so you can start looking ahead to another project. Now, what is this I hear, that you're going to be doing something for Kevin Hart's film company? Yeah, his company, Heartbeat, has an independent film arm, 
that's fairly new. I think it's only been about a year, and um, I'm one of the. My next film is one of the films on their slate. It's a romantic comedy um, I wrote and I'll be directing called One Big Love. And we're hoping to go in 2024. Uh, we're, you know, putting all the pieces together now. But, you know, actors are still on strike. So hopefully that'll end and we can get moving on this. But I'm very, very, very excited. They told me I should have like 18 days to shoot, which feels like... Oh. Uh, unbelievable <laughs> that's a luxury that's a luxury it is now will that one be set in philly well that one they're the all it's it's right i wrote it actually based in new york because okay. it's about an author and for some reason i just picture them living in brooklyn but um i i doubt we'll shoot in new york but we haven't gotten that far yet yeah. as far as like discussing where we'll, we'll shoot um, so I'm not sure, but I will definitely throw Philly out there for sure. Well, especially Kevin Hart. I mean, come on. Right, uh, right, <laughs> right. Oh, my. And there are a lot of authors who live in Philly. I know that Jennifer Weiner's from there. I, I, I can picture them living down a... In, you know, Rittenhouse Square, where yeah. all the cobblestones well, are. Well, Lisa, Lisa Scotolini. <laughs> that, that feels like a very authory area to me. You so. know, my pal Lisa Scotolini. I mean, she's got, what now, 32 best-sell- New York Times bestsellers. She's got another book coming I out. I read her. Okay. Well, yes. Lisa's got her whole farm with her animals right there in Chester County. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, and her daughter, Francesca, who is also an author. Francesca, she lives in New York. I'm not sure exactly which area in New York, but no, Lisa has, she's born, bred, uh, was a former lawyer, clerked for appellate justices, went to Penn. Um, so, yeah. They're, That's crazy. I mean, that is exactly the kind of books she writes. So That's sense. it. That's it. So now she's gotten into historical fiction. Um, oh, that's fun. I love historical fiction. She's got two really good ones that have come out over the past couple of years. Uh, I'll have to check that out. And they're actually set back in the period of World War II uh, in Italy. Do they take place in Philly? No, they take place in Italy. It's history okay. going back to World War II. But it ties in with all of the Italian immigrants that came over as a result of World War II. Right, right. So you really get the flavor and, of course, the origins of the mafia. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, I cannot wait for your next film. Um, you are off to an amazing... Thank am- you so much. Jennifer, you're off to an amazing start with Sick Girl. You really are. I just so enjoyed this. Watched it twice already, and I guarantee you I will watch it again because it is refreshing. It's light, even with serious subject matter. But you give us a really warm and wonderful payoff. And I Thank just, you I, so much. It really means a lot to me. It really does. Thank you. I love it, Jennifer. I really love <laughs> it. And you're going to have to come back on the show again. I would love to. I would love to. Absolutely. You, you have an open invitation. Thank you. Thank you. I will take you up on that for sure. Oh, Jennifer, thank you so, so much. And I can't wait till we talk again and until you make another film for me to see. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. You can have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 
And that was Jennifer Cram talking about her feature directorial debut, Sick Girl. It opened Fridays. It's in theaters, on Apple TV, Prime. It's on VOD. Even Spectrum had it. Pam? And now, we got trouble coming up next here, people. We got trouble coming up. There they are. There they are, Kevin Good, Hi. Jenna St. John, and Sexpectations. Hello, Debbie. Hello. How are you guys? How's the, how's the short person? Our, well, yeah, so I'm on toddler duty here, so at any point if I just disappear, I apologize in advance. <laughs> um, she's got a, a raging fever, and I'm hanging out with her, so... Um, but I promise Jenna knows more about this show than any human should ever know. So, well, <laughs> well, you know, I'm just so thrilled to finally see this after the pilot. Um, to finally see this series get made, I am so happy for you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. We're super Thank excited. You. Well, you should be super excited, and it's so different than Dinner with the Alchemist, dare I say. It is. Um, I, you know, um, I met Sophia during Dinner with the Alchemist, um, and this is kind of where the brainchild of all of this came from. Um, so, yeah, but I do, I feel like writing the show helped me find my voice as a writer more. Um, and Dinner with the Alchemist, I was uh, still figuring that out. Well, you definitely have made your voice very, very, very clear with Sexpectations. Um, you, you you are so good with snark, with one-liners, um, biting, comedic, um, you know, frustrating. You bring it all <laughs> in into the into play here. Yeah, I know Kevin's laughing especially, um, because yeah. he then had to take all of this and direct it, and then work with and then work on editing and doing visual effects. So, I just know how much of uh, Jenna's writing is based on based on truth, and okay. that's why it's funny when I think about <laughs> when I think about all the things in the show, uh, and then I think, where did this come from? Uh, I'm a fr- I don't even answer that question because when anybody watches <laughs> Sexpectations, I'm watching it because I know both of you, and I'm going, oh my god, wait, this this had to come from <laughs> from Sophia. It couldn't have come from Jenna. Um, but it it is just hilarious. And of course, you cast my dear friend Stephen Alaric uh, as one of Katie Lawrence's fantasies, real life boyfriend, ex boyfriend, new boyfriend, new old boyfriend. Um, and I just every time Steve's on screen, because I know him so well, I just busted a gut laughing. I hate. <laughs> Just, we feel the same way about him. I, we feel the same way, and we're so thankful that you turned you onto him. Uh, turned us onto him. I, because, um, and you let he him. He was just great. He was you, great for the role. And you let him sing. Yeah, oh, yeah we had to. So we found um, out. Sorry, go ahead, Jenna. Uh, uh, we filmed. So the the show was filmed in chunks, and part of it was before COVID. And the other part of it was, I don't want to say after COVID, but it was uh, during, I think, the second wave. The second wave. The second wave. <laughs> um, and so the before COVID chunk, um, we found out he could sing. 
Oh, yeah. And Sophia can sing. And so, obviously, I had to write in an, an episode where they're both singing and show off that bit. You had to. And that's one of my big selling points that I, that I have been telling people at the backstage bar. Because years ago when Steve was a ma- was the bar manager there, and it's like women would flock in that place on Thursday, Friday, Saturday to hear him sing karaoke. And to this day, he'll pop in there like once or twice a year. And when people find out he's there, oh, Steve going to sing? Steve going to sing? He actually has a really huge following. So I'm trying to make the most of that for you and encourage people to watch the expectations. Uh so. We appreciate that. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. I mean, honestly, doing the musical number with them is like one of like the creative highlights of my life because I, I co-wrote that song with my friend Patrick, uh, who I went to high school with and used to play in bands with, and um, it was just it was just kind of putting everything together, you know, putting putting the show together and all the drama and the comedy of the show and then putting songwriting and a big musical number. And then it was orchestrated by our composer, John Piscatello, who did just this phenomenal song doing like an old style Hollywood musical kind of number out of it. And uh, it's, it's like peak Kevin creativity. I mean, Kevin, I mean, technically from the direction, the editing, the VFX, technically this series is excellent. That really impressed me. I love how you use the tools in the toolbox. You've got nice dissolves. You've got some beautiful montages happening. And then what you do is you play really well tonally with each episode based on how Jenna and Sophia wrote it. So that, you know, we've got one that starts out very film noir-ish. And then we have, you know, the high-end Fabio romance book covers um, coming to life. That's the best way to, to explain it to people. Obviously, That's right. That's exactly right. Obviously, before the goose hit his nose while he was on a roller coaster. But, you know, you have all of these different tonal qualities. So you really get to dive in working with your cinematographer, um, with Gus, and you get to set up your black and white, your really heavy, dark shadowing, really playing with that and leaning into the, the noir aspect. And then you have another episode where it's a sitcom format, kind of like a la Friends in a bar instead of a coffee shop. And you play with these different genre tones with each episode. And, you know, even the episodes where we're meeting Drew. And, you know, he's a doctor. It's like you're it's kind of a riff on almost a riff on soap operas versus like Chad Everett and Medical Center from years gone by. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think one of the fun things about the show that we're trying to do is kind of like have our cake and eat it, too, in terms of like having really fun, silly stuff like that. And these kind of breaks from reality and a lot of stuff in the imagination of the characters and visually fun things where we get to play around with film noir or being in a fantasy novel. Um, But then also like kind of compartmentalizing those things because a lot of that stuff is compartmentalized to like the imagination of the character. Then hopefully we get to like have our cake and eat it too. And when we're talking about, um, you know, when it's a romantic scene or something emotional or um, something sexually awkward that, 
it feels like those things and it feels like true to those things. And we're not like undermining uh, real human emotion by trying to put in too many one-liners. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, and this is where I mean, your performance, Jenna, as Victoria is hilarious because here we have best friends, roommates, Katie and Victoria and Victoria, you know, half of the episodes were actually, there's something in all of the episodes about slut shaming Victoria because Victoria Mm -hmm. is just, I just laugh every time you go into a diatribe uh, as Victoria uh, talking about different guys and complaining about this and complaining about that and questioning this. And this is where Jennifer Nichols costuming really fits your character so well. Because, yeah, you take a look at Victoria and, oh, yeah, I can, I can easily envision women that I would see in bars over the years. And that's what they were wearing. And they had one thing on their mind, but wouldn't admit that they had one thing on their mind. Um, so uh-huh. all, these little, all of these elements come into play here, which then lets Kevin have even more fun as a director when you have the costuming that is so appropriate for Victoria and then the costuming for Katie with the, you know, the bow tie blouse, you know, blouses with the little poofy sleeves. And uh, yeah, those two costumings for you, for Victoria and for Katie are so critical versus the guys. Yeah. And then of course the fantasy aspects which, here again, I'm sorry, I had to laugh seeing Steve decked out with leather bondage straps and uh, a metal arm and leather pants. I just... I I love those. <laughs> and, of course, um, you know, every single one of those men took a photo of themselves in their trailers. I'm sure <laughs> they the did. <laughs> I have no doubt. And this is, but this is a testament to you, Jenna, and to Sophia. Not only in your performances, but in writing, in crafting this script with so much detail and the ability to genre jump, so to speak, in each of the episodes. Was this all on the page or did you say, here, Kevin, what can you do with this? Um, yeah, I guess it, it was all on the page. You know, um, I Kevin's, Kevin's a regular reader of mine and... Gaber also read every single script um, as it was coming together. Um, and he was, uh, he played Levi. He was a bartender. He's a great comedian, a great comedic writer. Um, and so um, it just, it took, it took a lot. Um, it took a lot of time and it took a lot of effort. And I would send it to Kevin. He would send it back and be like, not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I would keep working it. Um, and, yeah, I think when Kevin's notes started getting really nitpicky, then I knew that it was it was good to go. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so Kevin, I'm going to give you a chance to get even. You know, she just said that your notes are nitpicky. So how <laughs> how well did Jenna take direction from her director? Oh, very well. No, and she's she's absolutely right that that my notes are nitpicky. Um, we all want it to be good. She's looking to me for nitpicky notes. Otherwise, I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing it. You know, um, or otherwise she wouldn't be asking me for it. But 
No, I think we work extremely well together. You know, this is our love language is, is uh, making, making stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, um, and I think actually, you know, because she had it's like a bunch of intimacy scenes in the show, I think it was actually more comfortable for both of us because we knew we were creating a safe, comfortable set where everybody understood what was going on and there was a lot of trust rather than I would be worried if she was like, oh, Kevin, I booked this acting gig across town and there's <laughs> yeah. 17 sex scenes in the thing and some guy, you know, <laughs> some guy named Chad is directing it. I'll, I'll see you next week, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I think, I think that aspect of it was great. Um, it, we, are, we, we were asking a lot of, of you know, all the actors. Um, and it was kind of funny, you know, some of the guys were making comments about, you know, oh, I did all this, uh, I did, you know, oh, I did, I did four years of training at such and such and another six years of training at such and such just to be here with my shirt off. And I think the show flips the tables a lot on that because you think about how many times uh, women are asked to play those roles mm -hmm. and how many times the actresses in town or going out for roles um, where there, there's not a substantial real underlying character and maybe they're there as a bit of a beautiful prop. prop. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was a little bit of an interesting little looking glass there, seeing the tables turn on that a little bit. And, and to be clear, I don't think that it's bad if there's, obviously I don't think there's, it, it's bad if there's sexuality in shows. I don't think it's bad if... no if some clothes come off in a show, I think what's bad is if it's, it's so crazy uneven as mm -hmm. sort of society has been for millennia, yeah. you know? Um, I... And so hopefully uh, we're telling stories out of Jenna's brain and very female centric stories. And we're challenging those sort of stereotypical notions a little bit. Mm -hmm. And again, this is some of like the very serious things that I'm talking about, where we get yeah. to have our cake and eat it too, and make a very silly show, but then also kind of tread into very, um, very important waters. You really do, and that's one of the, that's one of the great things that I really like because on the surface, yes, it is very, it's hilarious, it's laugh out loud funny. Um, you get a little, uh, you know, a little raunchy in some places, but. Then you even it out with the serious nature of the issues at play. And I think that for, especially for so many women in their lives, and even men, it's, you know, do I or don't I? You know, I haven't had sex, mm -hmm. and you've got publishers saying, well, no, you've got to write about your own experiences, and then you go, uh-oh. And it's like, should I, shouldn't I, where do I cross the line? These are decisions and thoughts that, uh, you know, as you pointed out, Kevin, this is, you know, the whole issue of, of sex and clothes and things like that. This has been going on since the beginning of time. And it's still an issue today. And these are things that people wrestle with. And you bring that to the forefront. This is where your characters of Levi and Kyle are really, really, really important to round out this foursome of Katie, Victoria, Levi, and Kyle. Because you've got Kyle, and he's so in love. Then you've got Levi, who is deadpan. And I have to tell you, Levi is my favorite character in this series. I love the character of Levi. 
I love him too. Um, and Gabe's performance is so incredible. The way he deadpans. And he can do deadpan snark so well. Uh-huh. Uh, it is a joy to watch him. And I really just love what that character brings and what he brings to the character. And Levi is more or less, he's the voice of reason through most of the six episodes. Absolutely. You know, just, and Sky King is Kyle. He's just, he's just such a a befuddled little sweetheart. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, you can't help but like him. You know, he's like a teddy bear. I think bear. he wins the, yeah, I think he wins the grows on me the most over the course of the season award for the characters, you know. Well, and you give and him. And Levi, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, and, and with and with Sky's performance as Kyle, you know, and I think it's episode, it's either 105 or 106, uh, the fifth or sixth, you give him one of the most romantic homages and montages as he, in a fantasy sequence, of him decorating the bar to state his state his affections for mm-hmm. the love of his life. And you even you've got the whole John Cusack there with the mini boom box over his head and it is just and you just fall in love with the character of Kyle at that moment. And then you realize, okay, it's it's a fantasy sequence, but boy, it just tugs at the heartstrings, and you just love Kyle to death. You can't help it. Yeah, and a lot of that is Sky. Like Sky played the character so earnestly, I think easily the character could have gone the other way and been yes. super annoying and too much, um, too much of the nice guy TM. Um, but Sky really leaned in. He. You can tell that he loves Kyle, like he really felt for him and doesn't judge him. And I think that's what comes out. But see, because he gets leans into that so beautifully, that also lets Victoria really be the obnoxious person in the series. <laughs> she is. And um, Hey, that's my wife you're talking yeah. about there. <laughs> that's right. Well, you directed her. Um, you you let that shine through, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I think there were definitely a few monologues out of her where I, I, I was just like pushing for the the most neuroses possible. Right? If you watch like takes, we would do maybe four takes, and then you know take one. There was you know neuroses was on a six out of ten, and then by the time we got to take four, it was full blown Victoria. So it was, <laughs> it was really fun to watch uh, Jenna dive into her. Um, I don't know what some scary part of her subconscious. (laughs) You know, now, Kevin, the fact that, you know, you're married to this woman, you live with this woman. Doesn't that scare you at all at what is brewing in the back of her mind? No, I I mean, this this is just so much fun. I love it. And, you know, I random like I was I was on a trip over the weekend and at random I get a text from her and she says, I have an idea for a teen comedy movie. And I just sent her back all the heart emojis I could because that's what I love about her. She, she's always just she's always just cooking. She's always just brewing up new things and taking little notes on on whatever that you know she wants to to write about. Um, going back to uh, Gabe playing uh, Levi real quick, um, he actually wasn't 
you know, we weren't considering him as an actor for the show. He was uh, helping with some of the comedy because he's a comedy writer, and he was helping punch it up, and we were just going to do a table read and some auditions, and we invited him just to sit in and, you know, as part of that process of punching it up. And then once we heard him reading for that character, we were like, okay, cool. So we don't need to do auditions. We are done. We've got our Levi, and we are all set. And uh, since then, it's been been a real joy to watch. The The hardest thing is is putting a leash on him because we'll get to set some days, and he'll have, like, 17 different alts for one joke or something. Oh, my God. And I, it's like, <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> we need to get back to the script someday. I just think he's fantastic. I think Gabe is fantastic, and the character is fantastic. But, you know, and I don't want to overlook the lovely character, our Brit Holden. I mean, number one, you can understand how Katie's going to want to fantasize about this sexy British guy, Holden. And James LaFeuve plays him so well um, that I love how you shot Kevin. This is kudos on you. And this is just one instance. You have so many moments in this film where you're working with Gus and you push the camera in, such as in the car with Holden and Katie. And is their hands just... and the camera's just on their hands. And slowly, and you're, you're going in closer and closer, so you get an ECU on the hands as, you know, the, the pinky fingers touch. And then one hand goes over the other. And you're really building up sexual tension because you think something really incredible is going to happen here. Uh, <laughs> That's great that you like it. It's interesting. We do, uh, we do focus groups on our rough cuts because we need to know, like, you know, if a joke just isn't landing, we need to try an alt or just lose it or something like that, you know. Um, and we did a focus group on that episode. That's episode three. Mm-hmm. And there's this hand-holding scene. And across the board, the women in the focus group loved that scene. Yeah. And across the board, the men were meh. <laughs> <laughs> How beneficial do you guys find a focus group for a series like this? It's huge. Um, for a comedy, it's so easy because you're, you're just sitting back and listening for the laughs. And we also watch to see when people pull out their phones. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody's pulling out their phone. If two or more people are pulling out their phone at a specific moment, we know that we need to revisit it. Well, number one, why are yeah. you why are you letting anybody in the in the room to watch anything with their phones able to be turned because, on? Because that's how they'll watch it in real life, you know. And I think that gives us that feedback that we need. You know, I think the trick with focus groups is to, for the most part, ignore what people then say about it because just a lot of groupthink happens, and then you just go down a little rabbit hole. But what mm-hmm. you can trust is either people are laughing and pay attention. Or they're not so much. And that gives you a lot of information about, like, okay, we need to try an alt joke here. We need to tighten this up. We need to lose this bit. We need to swap this out. And it really, I think it really, uh, it really helps. I think people are a little maybe too precious about their, their art as auteurs. Mm-hmm. And they think, like, oh, no, focus groups are what big studios who make corporate movies do. You know, I, I'm an artist. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to make a, a corporate movie by committee here. And, and so they, they think it's a bad thing, but I don't know. It's just such useful feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of addicted to them. Talk to me about 
you know, we've got the Gus's cinematography, which I love. I love the visual tonal bandwidth. I love the different genres that you're that you're tackling here. Production design and costume. And I mentioned Jennifer and her costuming, especially for uh, <laughs> for Jenna's character of Victoria. How important are those elements when you're putting a series like this together? You know, um, before Sexpectations, I had no idea how important a costume designer was. And then Jenny or Jennifer Maynickel came into our lives, and she cares so much. Um, every single detail, like the bracelet that Katie is wearing, is picked out by her. Every single detail. And for me, I'm more like Katie than Victoria in real life. Um, Victoria is based off of an amalgam of very close friends of mine. Um, And so the clothes that I would be fitted with um, were not the clothes that I'm used to wearing. Um, Victoria's clothes made me very uncomfortable. Like, oh, this skirt's too short, um, you know. And so she kept working with me to find something that fit the character, but that I was also comfortable in. And that's just huge. Mm -hmm. Well, and similarly with your production designer, with Betsy Zuck and what she did, the whole setup for the bar, which is where a good portion of the activity takes place, is, you know, it's wonderful. There's all the details. Attention is paid to all the details, right down to olives in a martini. Um, <laughs> but did you have real alcohol in those martinis? We did not. Um, <laughs> uh, we had, you know, we had iced tea for whiskey and water for martini and whatever the darkest grape juice that we could find. And then we had non-alcoholic um, beer for the beer. Yeah, um, your beer yeah, always so. looks nice and foamy. Beer always has a nice head on it in your shot. We had a, yeah, we had a lot of uh, O'Doul's. Um, it turns out this is a very dry bar. We had a lot of O'Doul's, in fact, to come of them. A couple, a couple that snuck into the show and I had to VFX paint out so that people wouldn't see that it was O'Doul's. You know, <laughs> you might have gone to them looking for financing. We should. And in um, condom companies, Trojan definitely should have. Definitely. Definitely. You missed the boat here. You missed the boat. <laughs> now, season two. Yeah. Oh, there has to be a season two. <laughs> well, I'm already on board for season two. Now, I have to ask you about your composer. John Piscatello's score is fabulous. It is so cinematic, and you've got episodes here where he's tackling each genre, each genre, so that, you know, film noir, we're getting, we're getting some kind of Bernard Herrmann moments in here, and the fantasy se- segments, uh, such as in episode one of the sixth episode, Katie loses it. Uh, you've got, the scoring is fantastic. Talk to me about what you. you were looking for musically, because each episode is so different. You know, part of it is that, and part of the fun of the fantasy sequences is that we get to do all these different things. And so we embrace that. And the noir thing, uh, and then sometimes I would, I would temp it. And usually if I temp it, I'm going to temp it with something pretty challenging. So a lot of the fantasy stuff, I tempt it with like uh, Tchaikovsky. And I think a lot of, you know, media, film composers might start sweat, sweating bullets if you really tempt something with 
with one of the greats, right? It's like, <laughs> these are big shoes to fill. Good luck making you know, the score as good as Tchaikovsky, sucker. Um, and so some of them, I, I would kind of plant the seed like that. But then other ones, like the noir, he actually suggested, uh, John suggested a piece that I ended up temping it with that was absolutely spot on, you know, um, for that. And, uh, you know, he worked really hard, and we recorded the whole thing um, with, a, with a real orchestra, Wow. Just the just the orchestral score bits, right? Mm-hmm. So we have there's a lot of like pop songs in the show also, but all the stuff that John wrote, which is all the orchestral score bits, um, he really did just such a completely top shelf job for us and made I I don't know, it's incredible if you just yeah turn up the volume when you watch the show and, and disappear into it because from like the very opening scene, which is his score at at full blast, um, it's. Uh, I don't, it's just beautiful. He's, um, he's a genius. Yeah, we, 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 um, and I don't mean that, movie... you know. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I don't mean that by throwing it away. Like, no, he's a genius. He went to, like, Harvard for fun and MIT. Um, <laughs> and he's just, he's on another level. And I think only he could have done this. I am in love with the score. I would love to he- have just the score. With, well, we, you know, come out on Spotify or something. One little bit of movie magic fun in there is yes. that uh, in the cake scene, which I don't want to say too much. No, don't. Gonna, uh, the cake, the, the uh, where there's lots of close-ups of the cake. Yep. I don't know how to say this without ruining the show. Um, but there's this organ piece That's there. Enough. And, That's enough. Uh, That's enough. John... <laughs> don't ruin it don't ruin it because it's such a good scene i won't ruin it uh, so the okay. organ uh playing in the score there is the organ that used to be on the fox lot that's like the organ from the sound of music oh my and now it's God. set up in the studio in the valley and so uh we we recorded the score on the organ from the sound of music there you go okay <laughs> nun maria nun maria crosses with <laughs> expectations seriously you don't want to even know the image in my head right now, guys. Um, <laughs> that is just scary beyond scary. But it works so well. I, now, I would love to actually have this John score separately by itself as, as a soundtrack, as, as something on Spotify, because it's that wonderful. It truly is. Oh, thank you. I will, I will let John know. <laughs> that is great. I want to be able to get that score without dialogue, without, you know, the sound mix with some of the poppier tunes, the needle drop uh, aspect. I would love that score. And when people hear it, I think they're going to fall in love with it as well because of the indicator. You get these sensory responses to his instrumentation as well. It's not just the composition, but it's also the instrumentation, which is so critical in some of these scenes. But, yeah, for sure. Uh, just absolutely fantastic. So now everybody can see. Oh, I do have to ask you: Why do we not have more frog and butterfly animation or puppetry? Oh, it was just so hard. <sighs> I love. Um, I I love them too. I you know I actually wrote a bit where um, you know more forest creatures return. Uh huh. Um, and then we just we got rid of it. We cut it out. Um, the f- yeah, I 
I love them. Um, and I love that there is a little um, angel and devil. Yes. You know, the two sides of Katie. Um, but, um, yeah, very challenging. But we did have a fantastic puppeteer who built the puppets and, um, and you know, did the puppetry for them. Well, because it's – and the, um, the frog and the butterfly are so cool, Jenna, because the frog – okay – Kiss a frog turns into a handsome prince. We get that whole idea with Katie. And then the butterfly, she's morphing. She is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the metaphor alone is fabulous. But then you see them in Cassandra's garden of delights. And you just want, oh. But I like how the, a lot of the fantasies really went for the dark, dark romantic, uh, that romanticizing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and when Jenna says that we just couldn't fit it in necessarily, I think she's, you know, it's more of like a story thing and how, and you see that over the course of it as, as the episode, as the episodes get more challenging for yes. the character, the fantasies are getting darker and darker. And um, the frog and the butterfly, you know, it, it was just constricting basically, right? Like that was perfect for episode one and where she was and where we wanted to be but then we didn't want to just keep making the same episode over and over again. No, and the darkness... We we wanted to keep exploring, yeah. And the fact that you get darker, and so much of it has to do with Katie's angst about a deadline. She's got to get the deadline on rewrites and and putting these sex scenes in her manuscript, and she's on her own self-imposed deadline about having sex. So you really, it really builds that intensity within her. So I like that metaphor that we get with the darker aspect as we move along until we do get into yeah. the into the leather straps and pants and all of that. So <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry. We know which parts of the show you like, Debbie. We know. We know. Yeah, no, Debbie <laughs> No, look, seeing I'm sorry. Seeing Steve, it just makes me laugh because I know him. So to see him <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Um but no, other women are going to be drooling. When they, <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got a great scene in here in the sixth episode where you have three guys, and there they all are, bare chested. And then we even have moments in, I think it's the fifth episode, and Kyle's ripping his shirt off, and it's just hilarious. Hilarious. But especially when you have the guys in the fantasy. And it's done with so much gravitas and so much drama. You know, it reminds me of a reveal, you know, Bruno Tonioli on Dancing with the Stars and how Bruno gets uh, when he's talking about a dance and the reveals. So it's just every element, guys, is so much fun. And you can see all the work you've put into this series. It's all there on screen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to write and a lot of fun to make. Now, how how fun is it, the fact everybody can see it today? Today on Apple. It's very exciting. Today's the day. Okay, now, now, Kevin, you had posted something on social media earlier. There was some kind of glitch or something. Oh, Amazon is just is just being uh, troubled right now. So if you want to pay twice as much for half the quality, go to Amazon. But if you just... (laughs) If you'd prefer to make your life easy, um, Apple TV is the place to look for it. And see, and it, and it looks much prettier. 
Yeah, well, you got the Does, 4K yeah. version there. Okay. And so I, I don't know. I'm reaching out to the distributor about what's going on with Amazon. So I'm sure we'll get that sorted soon enough. But um, at the moment, just, you know, Apple TV is great. And so use uh, that. Have you gotten any feedback from uh, the audience yet? Not yet. It only um, dropped today. Well, so I, I know. A lot of a lot of content. Um, so I'm expecting it to trickle in. But um, thank you for actually watching the whole thing. And now, come on, guys. Would I be talking to you if I hadn't watched all six episodes? You know me better than you know. That. You'd be uh, you'd be surprised how many um, reviewers no. don't actually watch the whole thing. Ah, but, um, no. you know, we totally appreciate it. Uh, you know, you guys, I think you know my feelings on press that do not watch a movie, do not watch a series all the way through, and then they want to talk about it and they know nothing, and it right. it shows a lack of caring about the filmmakers, about the product. And actually about themselves that they just want to do a half-assed job. Right, right. So. Um, well, thank you. Thank you um, for being you and for <laughs> referring Stephen to us and having integrity <laughs> as a reviewer. No, but I just, I love this. So am I going to get a season two? You know, um, I would, I have a season two in my head, Um we would love, love, love um, to do a season two, but um, well, we'll see. Maybe I'll reach out to Trojan or something to see if. Um, I think if audiences it. like, I think if audiences like the show as uh, half as much as you do, Debbie, then I think we'll have a good opportunity to do a se- this season two. How about I, that? Yeah, yeah. I really so. want because this fills a void. It, there's nothing out there like this show. There's nothing out there right now like Sexpectations. You know, fun, frothy, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just enjoyable from beginning to end. You get uncomfortable in parts, but you're supposed to get uncomfortable. And then you can get swoony in parts. Yeah, but, and we're trying to make a show that's like sex positive. Yeah. But also, doesn't that doesn't mean that it's just like a bunch of people hook? It's not just like a hookup show, right? No. It's, a, it's a show about real relationships and feelings and the complications of sex, but also like is very sex positive in a way of, I don't know, being told from the female point of view, showing um, really basic things that other shows don't show, yeah. like um, condoms and consent. Yep. Um, and not like in a not like in a you know this show is by no means an after school special about using condoms. No, no. You know, um, but I I don't know. I think you know I think one of the reasons that we worked on it so hard and that we've stuck to it and now that people can enjoy a season of it is because we believed in it. We believed in the content, not just as a not just as a bunch of funny one liners, which I do, but uh, you know. Beyond that is something important and, I don't know, conversation-worthy. And it says a lot about yeah, friendships. And, oh, and we felt a gap, too. You know, Sophia and I, we, like, we were like, we want to watch the show. And we can't find anything out there like this. So we made it. And I'm so glad you did. It has been a long, long I remember when we first talked about this show. And... You know, we talked about it up at Dances with Films in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad you guys stuck with it and you and you made, got the series made. I am so thrilled for you. 
And I'm so thrilled for audiences that they're going to get to see the fruits of your labor. And I think they're really going to like it. Thank you. You're the sweetest. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much. And look at that, Kev. You're even doing child duty, and you made it through the whole show. She's getting a little, she's getting a little rowdy here at the end, so I'm glad, uh, glad we pulled it up. <laughs> oh, yes. guys, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And, of course, without a doubt, you will be back on the show again. That goes without saying. Uh, uh, we would love to. We can't. We are ready to, we're ready to tackle. We're ready to tackle more. Something else. Teen comedy, uh, whatever. But, you know, you've always got a place here, and you know you've got my support. So, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. We super appreciate you. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks, guys. And I will talk to you soon, I hope. We will. Absolutely. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. And that was director, VFX, editor, Kevin Good, writer, co-writer, one of the series stars, Jenna St. John, talking about sex expectations. It's funny as can be. See it, see it, see it. It is on Apple TV, streaming on Apple TV and Prime Video today. So, six episodes. They range in time from 23 minutes and 20 seconds to, I think the longest one is 31 minutes and change. So... And they, it goes by very quickly. So that is all the time we have today. We went really over today. Um, but that's okay. And now, next week, he's back. Frank Meyer will be joining us live in studio for Halloween. Who knows what Frank's going to be doing. Other than we will be talking about Freestyle 101, History of Hip Hop. His latest film that he's directed. And time perfectly to the 50th anniversary of hip-hop music this year. So, until next week, go to the theaters, look online, stream, see Sick Girl, see Sexpectations. You're going to love them both. Until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.